Well, welcome to another Roots of the Money Tree podcast. I'm very excited to be back. This is Colby Gilmore from Nashville, and this is our first podcast of 2022. So May 17th is the day. We are well on schedule this year, but I'm, I've got the I've got the Houston how-to here. My good friend, my dear friend, Ryan Anderson. How you doing, Ryan? Great. So good to be back. I'm excited about today. I know, I know here at Roots, we, we've, we've done some things, we've talked about some things, we've learned some things, but we've, we've really fell in love with having amazing guests on that are much smarter than us, that are very special, have key insight that are culturally relevant and things that I'm definitely not the expert on, maybe Ryan is, but Ryan, you have a special guest. Let's introduce who, who we got today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have Brendan Thompson on today. Brendan is a technology enthusiast who's passionate for the nations. I ran into... Brendan last year and really came away so thankful for meeting him. I've learned so much from Brendan on the digital asset space, whether that's digital currencies, NFTs, DeFi, blockchain, and a lot of our listeners have questions on these areas. And so I thought it was a perfect mix. And so especially someone in that space who also has a heart for gifting and stewardship and the kingdom. So, so excited to have you on today, Brendan. Thanks for having me. That was a really honoring introduction. Unfortunately, I'll probably fail to live up to it, but we'll try. <laughs> uh, I don't <laughs> think so. So the first question that we always ask, Brendan, is about your money story. So how has yeah. money shaped your life? As you think back, going back to even when you were a kid, what were the experiences you saw as a child that either good or bad that shaped your experience with money and plays into who you are today and how you see money today? Yeah, that's a great question. Growing up, we my family didn't always have, like my, my parents are doing really great uh, now financially, but it wasn't all, that wasn't always the case. Um, but the a few distinct memories for me as a kid is I remember Christmas and pretty much all the major holidays, We they would just they would go bonkers on the mm -hmm. gifts and to a certain point, um, you know, it can crowd out the meaning of the holiday. And so, you know, in our family, we've maybe course corrected a little bit on that and not done as much to gifts, but it did leave a lasting impact in my mind because how wildly generous they were and just mm -hmm. how that's how they wanted to show their uh, kindness and their love toward us was just by all the gifts under the Christmas tree. And that was a distinct memory. And I know that's probably typical for most American families, but I'm no, it's like taking up a notch, like what you're mm -hmm. thinking, what was <laughs> under the tree. Um, it wasn't like that the rest of the year, but at least on Christmas, it, you know, it was, it was a pretty, pretty formative for me to see my parents, like, you know, not having a, a ton and then uh, just being wildly generous like that. Mm. Um, a few other, you know, I do have those memories being in uh, elementary school where, you know, you get the uh, the bank account and I don't know if they still do this today, but you can get like the kid's bank account, and, you know, uh -huh. you go to bank, bank of America and you've got like the little debit card. I'm like, I got $15 in, in the bank. Like, oh yeah. man, I'm, you know, you just, and you're trying to learn about stewardship and all that, you know, in school, they didn't call it stewardship. They just called it budgeting and, you know, managing right. your finances, but yeah, those were, those were some pretty early formative memories for me, but, you know, I, I've spent the last decade in, in full-time ministry. And mm -hmm. so that, that's had a pretty profound impact on the way that I view finances today, because, you know, I'm on the receiving end that people have supported for the last you know decade have supported our ministry uh, by giving. 
And uh, it, one, it heightens your awareness of how you spend. And so, sure. you know, I have a, I guess we're a little more conscientious about uh, the purchases that we make. And on the other side, it's made us just incredibly thankful for what we do have. We don't know if we're going to have the same financial situation year to year when you're in full-time fundraise ministry. And so I'd say that had a pretty profound impact for myself and for my wife. And then I'm thinking of one more moment that this is really formative to me. Uh, I have a buddy in Austin, his name's Robbie Moore. So uh, I'll send this to him after and he can hear the shout out, but he's a church planner. And I remember sitting in a car with him and, you know, it was my first year in full-time ministry and, you know, we were having expenses that you get to expense to the church budget. Like, you know, they, they have a, an operating budget for certain things. And let's say I'm picking up snacks for like a, a meeting or a Bible study or something. And uh, the number of expenses was piling up as this young, you know, intern at this, at this church. And I was having to float those expenses on my, my account until I could get reimbursed. And I was debating whether or not I should, uh, you know, get a credit card. And, you know, I, I did the whole, listen to the whole Dave Ramsey thing, credit, you know, they say credit's bad, don't get a credit card. And so I really wrestled with that. And uh, I told him in the car one time, I said, Robbie is like, I, I don't know that I could get a credit card because I think I'd overspend. And, uh, you know, I was really concerned about it. And he looked at me and he said, Brendan, the problem isn't with the credit card. The problem is in your heart. Mm. I was like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he just kind of walked me through something that I, you know, I think we intuitively know that, you know, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. And mm-hmm. uh, that could manifest in like overspending because you're loving, like, you know, the things that money gets you or uh, not to say you shouldn't enjoy those things. But uh, he was trying to explain to me that, you know, if there's something going on in my heart that would lead to mismanagement of my, mismanagement of my finances, that that was a that was a really a faith thing that I needed mm-hmm. to work through in my heart. And that was really impactful to me. And so uh, I got a credit card and I'm massively in debt now. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but I did end up getting that, you know, that credit card. And, you know, that was a, I, I'd say that was a really formative conversation yeah. for me in time because I, I started to, I had to put my big boy pants on and start to learn how mm-hmm. to manage my finances and build credit and do all those things. So those are just a few moments, I think, in my life that really shaped how I view money now. And, yeah. uh, you know, having having been on that receiving end of uh, generosity, generosity, and what do they call it? Uh, John Tyson calls it uh, being financially promiscuous, like giving, <laughs> being uh, very radically generous with your money. It's, you know, important to me, especially when you consider, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but some of the things related to full-time missions and the people that have not yet been reached with the gospel and how do you leverage your finances to, to see that task finished. I'd say those are the most formative memories for me and have really shaped how I do things. What a blessing to have a friend like that who can give you that perspective and is willing to have that conversation with you. Yeah. So true. I I keep thinking of the verse in uh, Genesis 12, when God says to Abram and he says, uh, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to all the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. Right. So we've been blessed to be a blessing. And some of that, you know, your finances, your possessions, those things, they are a blessing. Mm -hmm. But in my world, you know, we're training with our our ministry. We've spent the last decade trying to raise up and train missionaries to go cross-culturally. And it's, it's so often that a lot of people opt out of that uh, endeavor 
because of their blessings. So their blessings mm-hmm. actually become a barrier. Well, I can't possibly go serve the Lord elsewhere because I have a house, uh, two cars and 3.5 kids. Yeah. Um, these things that God has given as a blessing somehow end up becoming a barrier. Mm-hmm. And I hate that. Like, I really want to open people's eyes to see, no, these are actually the means through which God wants to, God wants to use those things in order to be a blessing to the ends of the earth. And yeah. Become quite passionate about that. Well, that's a good point. So why don't you tell us about what you do now? When I first met you, I was really struck by how many things you do in, <laughs> in different yeah. areas. Maybe walk us through how you got to where you are today and from the ministry, from the digital asset space, all of that. Yeah, that, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. Um, so I, you know, as I mentioned, I've been in ministry for the last decade, really. And mm. right when I graduated out of college, I went to Texas A&M, which was a great, was a great experience. And I, I started it as an educator and then very quickly moved into full-time ministry, but being in a space where you're mobilizing and training people to go spend their lives living among unreached peoples, among on the foreign mission field, you often run into people that are very capable, qualified people in their, their field of work. And that's certainly the case here in Houston. And I was struck by how often I'd run into somebody that was an incredible leader, really respected uh, at their place of business, um, yet and they were passionate about the things of God, passionate about, you know, even, even missionary activity, yet they were very uh, hesitant to, to go. And so I, I started to, you know, say, hey, you know what, Jesus incarnated among us. So what does it look like to, I guess, incarnate in the marketplace and get in, really get into the mind and the space of people that are uh, living that, like what's, uh, what are the barriers they face and what are the potential solutions? And so I, I was really assessing it from a, a mobilization and a ministry mindset. And uh, what I found is that I actually like really began to love being in the marketplace. And, and I can mm-hmm. totally see why that is such a fun and a great place for people to be. And it's, and I can see now some of the the hesitancies they've had to leave those, uh, those places to leave mm-hmm. those jobs in order to go and not to suggest that you have to leave your job in order to serve the Lord or something. I started to understand that along the way, you know, I tried a number of things, which is what you were alluding to that I've done a number of, done a number of things. Uh, but the technology space is kind of really where I found my niche. Uh, I was finding that technology really lent itself to being a global industry that you could take anywhere. It also allowed you to engage, uh, engage globally with people all over the world. And it gave you a context for which you could actually, you know, I can see a day and age where people that work in tech are able to work remotely uh, from anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. with permission. And so when you talk about the missionary enterprise and people going to places in the world that are hard to access, well, technology actually gives you an incredible access to that country because, you know, you're mostly working digitally. And you can work digitally from really anywhere. And so Mm -hmm. if you have a reason to be there, you can go. So there there were just a lot of benefits I saw with technology and started to lean more into that. And so what I do now is, you know, of course, I still, uh, my perspective on ministry has, I just say it has evolved uh, where I'm still mobilizing and training people Mm -hmm. still working uh, to do that. Uh, In addition to that, I I now lead an NFT marketplace and uh, a few like crypto digital asset related projects. Uh, really trying to, to, 
you know, bring the world into this new technology that it, it's coming uh, for everyone. It's going to fundamentally reshape how we uh, transact and interact online. But most people are just unfamiliar with that technology and like why it's mm -hmm. so important. And they hear about NFTs or crypto and they think, oh, you're just, you know, it's like you're gambling, trading stocks or right. you're buying a $200,000 picture of a monkey. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's really what people associate with crypto and NFTs. And, yeah, uh, I'm hoping to kind of break that narrative for people and help, help them see what it really is. Yeah. Well, why don't you break that narrative for our listeners? So with uh, <laughs> digital assets, NFTs, maybe just talk through them a little bit from your perspective, what they are, why they're important. Well, at a high level, I think it's important to know what a digital asset is, like what it could be at a high level before you talk about, you know, what an NFT is or what yeah. a token versus all, all these, all those questions. So uh, there was this technology that it's been around for a while, it's called blockchain. And all it is is simply it's an infrastructure that allows you to um, capture and store and kind of delegate information in a what's called a distributed ledger. And so for we'll take Bitcoin, for example, Bitcoin allows you it's decentralized, meaning that there's no one centralized authority that controls and owns the network. It's a bunch of computers run by people that are talking, their computers are talking to each other in order to validate the transactions that are pushed along this network. So imagine MasterCard or Visa or Discover, it's a payment network, but instead of being centrally controlled, it's decentralized. On top of that, uh, the Bitcoin experiment uh, is probably the hardest money that you'll find out there. It's probably some of the, it's the soundest money. I would argue that it is the greatest financial invention that the world has seen. The reason is because you know it's a there's a limited supply. It's a, nobody can ever can ever increase the supply of Bitcoin. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a, a terminal value like there's 21 million. There's like a, a terminal supply of 21 million. That that's all there will ever be. Mm -hmm. And so this is fundamentally different than you know money, which we can print at any point. You know U.S. dollars, which you can print at any point. Sure. Um, and in fact, that's what we're seeing right during this pandemic. We've seen a lot of inflation happen primarily because the federal government has been printing more and more dollars to, to stimulate the economy. And uh, you just can't do that with Bitcoin. And so uh, for all, you know, what you hear in the news about the up and down prices at a fundamental base, at a fundamental level, Bitcoin actually has some of the soundest principles of what a money should be. Mm -hmm. um, and for that reason, it's very, it's just a financial technological wonder. Uh, when you combine that with the decentralized aspect, where nobody controls it and, and nobody owns the network, what you have is a pretty pure system where individuals can transact with each other across space and time um, with a few clicks of a button. All they need is internet access. So that might be a bunch of techno garbage to a lot of people, but it truly is uh, a revolution because you think about what you're able to do. For example, I want to send money to Argentina, let's say. Well, Argentina has a pretty historically awful inflation rate. Like their, mm -hmm. their money inflates probably 10%, you know, every year. And so if you just hold your money in a bank every year, you're going to lose 10% of your value. So if you store your money for about 10 years in an Argentinian bank, your money is worth, it's just deflated or it's just mm -hmm. inflated uh, and it's lost hundred, you know, almost all of its value. It's not a great way to store your wealth. And so what a lot of Argentinians have done is that they've tried to store their money in U.S. dollars, 
Well, because of this central centralized uh, banking system there, the banks in Argentina can, can fundamentally just take your US dollar and convert it to the pesos as they need. They have the authority and the, and the power to do what they need to do in order to like run their economy. And so, you know, you lose that, that kind of control over your assets you don't, you know, you're not really in charge of it because it's uh, centrally controlled. And then on top of that, it's being inflated year after year after year. Uh, Bitcoin is actually the exact opposite of that. And so when it comes to like what, a, when you come back to it, what is a cryptocurrency? What is a digital asset? Well, they can play a number of things. Uh, the way, the one that Bitcoin plays, the role that Bitcoin plays is it attempts to be a digital form of uh, maybe a store of value or a transaction layer where you can peer-to-peer -peer send money uh, cross borders, cross space and time with just a few clicks of a button where you're in charge. You own the Bitcoin, it's in your wallet and you can send it. So that's kind of where it all started. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened over the last decade or so is people began applying these decentralized blockchain distributed ledger technology in a bunch of different other ways. So everyone has probably heard of Ethereum, which became kind of the base layer for applications that were built on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So now there's all sorts of applications that use cryptocurrency, like you can lend, you can borrow, like even financial instruments, you know, people can bank purely using crypto apps that are decentralized and all you really need is uh, cryptocurrency in your wallet and an internet connection and you can be connected to a global banking system that's outside of the centralized uh, system that we inhabit here so there's really all sorts of things you can do with cryptocurrencies and digital assets that i don't even think we've scratched the surface of the possibilities there because unfortunately, what most people are doing is speculating on, oh, mm -hmm. where, is Bitcoin going to be 100000 this year? Is it going to be right. going to go up or down? Those are the kinds of things people think about. Um, but it's there's just more under the surface than that. It's been really interesting to see just the evolution. So it seems like 2017 is when it really entered the popular culture. Bitcoin yeah. went up to 20000 Everyone was talking about it. It crashed the next year. No one really talked about it until 2020. Then it yeah. skyrocketed again, and now it's kind of in the in the popular culture again. But there's been so yeah. many changes and so many right. developments over that last five years that have really changed what the definition is of digital assets. And it's important. I, I like to call them uh, digital assets, not cryptocurrencies, because uh, digital assets actually, you know, it's it is what it is. It's an asset. So whether that's a security, a money, uh, you know, property, whatever it is, and it's assigned digitally cryptocurrency i think is maybe as helpful as that term has been it kind of now captures this uh picture of a guy sitting in his basement trading uh it, you know it's just the same thing that we've been talking about like sitting in his basement trading bitcoin and ethereum and trying to make as much money as he can and you know not all of these cryptocurrencies so-called cryptocurrencies not all of them are attempting to be currencies mm-hmm in fact, a lot of them are not attempting to be that at all. Um, certainly, they can be used that way um, to transact and that kind of thing, but that's not like the, the purpose for a lot of these tokens that are out there. And so I, I prefer to use digital asset. Also, when you consider what an NFT or non-fungible token is, that's an asset. It's, a, it's more of a property. It's something you own. It's not necessarily a currency. Like People don't walk around 
you know, we, we use money for a reason. We don't walk around saying, Hey, I'll trade you your laptop for my car. <laughs> um, that's not the system that we use. So I just prefer the term digital asset. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into NFTs a little bit. So I had never heard of NFTs until early 2020 with like the NBA top shots. I had no concept, yep. no understanding of what NFTs were. And then it's kind of that too has also developed over the last couple of years where it's entered the popular culture a little bit more. But I, I, I do feel like people are very confused by what an NFT is, what the value it provides. And so obviously yeah. as the creator of an NFT marketplace, you do have that information. So why don't you just share a little bit about NFTs? Yeah. Yeah. This is one I'm really passionate about because uh, what a lot of people are seeing are these celebrities buying these million dollar monkey pictures. Mm-hmm. And if that's, you know, I'm purposely um, obfuscating what, you know, what it actually is when I say that, because right. uh, that's just what people see. The basic idea behind it is that, you know, fungibility is, is the, really the, the basic principle there. So it's a non-fungible token. Fungibility is just that, as you guys know, it's the idea of one thing can be exchanged for another. And so if I give you a dollar and you give me a dollar back, it doesn't matter what dollar you give me, they're, they are the same. Uh, they function the same. They're going to operate the same. One dollar is as good as any other dollar. Uh, with a non-fungible asset, it's different. You can't just trade out one for one. So the, the difference would be like, let's say that I ordered a, a, a let's say I ordered a Tesla. Um, that would be really sweet. So don't have a Tesla, have a little beautiful little Sentra. But let's say I ordered a Tesla and it just came right off the lot and kind of drove itself to my house. I'd be really excited to get that. Well, realistically speaking, there's probably 20 different Teslas on the lot that are all functionally the same. And they could all be, they're fungible to a certain extent. They could, mm-hmm. any one of them will do provided that, you know, they're all brand new and just, that's the end of it. Um, where it gets interesting is like, let's say that I decided to customize the seats and I got leather seats with my name inscribed on them. And then I, let's say I got like those racing stripes down the top and some mm-hmm. flames on the side. Well, now <laughs> the only thing that I'm going to accept because I've paid for this customized uh, car is the one that I got. Like if you just rolled up any old Tesla onto my driveway, uh, I'd be like, well, this isn't the one that I ordered. It's mm-hmm. not, uh, it's fundamentally not the same uh, as another one. NFTs simply take that idea of non-fungibility and apply that to digital or tokenized assets. So uh, when you see those pictures of those apes, they might all look very similar, uh, but they all have properties and characteristics about them in the coding itself, the computer code itself, that make them fundamentally distinct from one another. So one will never be the same as, as another one. And whether you see the difference in the images or the movie or whatever the NFT file ends up being, whether you see the differences or not, uh, they are they are just fundamentally not the same, uh, which is different than how Bitcoin or Ethereum or some of these other uh, cryptocurrencies and digital assets work. Because, you know, one Bitcoin is as good as any other Bitcoin. In the case of NFTs, that's just not the case. And so you know, obviously there's a lot of implications of that kind mm. of uh, technology of why you would want something that is completely unique like that. So there's some pretty massive implications for that and some pretty cool things you can do. Yeah. I think 
one space that is kind of interesting where people talk about kind of royalties from in the music industry or that there's a lot of yep. implications there so with nfts in general so i know there there's a huge variety of them are people are nft owners able to monetize their nfts yes and this is uh one it's a complicated topic sure because there's a lot that goes into it but essentially when you own an nft that's your property mm -hmm. you own it so you can do whatever you'd like with your property like if i had if i you know I, I get my custom tesla car well if i just wanted to go out and spray paint it i can do whatever i want it's my car um you know, nobody else gets to tell me what I do with my car. I could resell my car if I wanted. I could try and resell my car for twice what I bought it for. I could sell it for half. Like I fundamentally get to choose what to do with my property. Uh, the same thing happens with the NF in the NFT world is that you actually, you own the NFT. So you're the one that gets to choose what you do with it. Now, there, there are some complications because let's say that I were to create a digital piece of art, but I were to take that art from somebody else and create the NFT. Mm -hmm. And then I were to sell it. Right. Well, now did I ever have a right to reproduce that image in the first place? Did I have a right to turn that into an NFT? And mm -hmm. then I sold it. Right. And so now this person that's owning it, do they actually have the right to monetize, let's say, an NFT that's value came from art that was pirated or copyrighted. You know, there's just, it just gets really, uh, really messy, really quick. And I think yeah. that's where um, a lot of the stigma around NFTs come is that uh, people are trading these pictures online for massive amounts of money. And it's really difficult to nail down and ascertain who has the, you know, I guess the rights, the rights to do that. And then, you know, on top of that, you've got, uh, you know, the other question of utility. What do they actually do? Yeah. Um, and so that's something I'm passionate about because right now we have a lot of NFTs that don't really do anything. And I think that's fine. It's okay to have a picture that you like and you enjoy. I mean, do you remember, uh, you, I don't know if you guys remember this day and age when you'd have a phone, you could like buy the ringtones. Mm -hmm. Um, I see it like that. Like, you know, why do you really need, oh, I just wanted it. I wanted to collect it. I wanted to get a ringtone for my phone. Like, okay, that's great. Like that's not, um, that might be silly to some people. And a lot of your listeners probably don't even remember that day. If they're, if they're super young, they're like, sure. oh. but that was the thing, you know, you could just buy a ringtone. Uh, and I see, you know, that that's one type of utility is just getting something because it brings you pleasure that you mm -hmm. like it. Um, but that's pretty much all that we're experiencing right now uh, with NFTs. And there's mm -hmm. just so much more that can be done with them. Yeah. So it's almost just kind of like art right now, like physical art. There's a market for the Mona Lisa or Statue of David, yeah, that's right. like that, where yeah. you could you could create a copy of it, but it wouldn't be the actual original version. So it wouldn't have any value. So we're kind of seeing that in the NFT world. Yeah. Um, but not, I didn't want to pull this card too early, but I am in Nashville and we got <laughs> songwriters everywhere. And I, I started to hear the more people talk that concept of, you know, I'm a songwriter. I already get screwed over by the music industry and you don't get paid enough. So I'm going to launch. Yeah. Do you see, I mean, like value in that working? Cause I, I feel like sometimes I hear it. It's like, Hey, it's my own, you know, VIP. It's like if you're Eric Church as part of the church choir, now you get private access to early tickets and recordings. And how yeah. does that differentiate with an NFT? Uh, NFTs actually, I think that's a really great use for them, right? 
because you've got all these in the, in the creator economy and the creator markets, they're really powerful because you, you have this thing that you've created as an artist and you can make it into an NFT. So let's say it's a, you know, a, let's say it's just the text, like song lyrics, or let's say it's uh, the music itself. Well, you can actually through various blockchains, through different marketplaces, you can actually create royalty streams where you can um, allow others to buy and hold your, the, the, I guess the art that you've created and they can then support you in that way. So it really is powerful because it's, it's one of those ways where creators are actually being recognized as, as creators. Um, and it's not being, you know, they're not being taken advantage of as much. And so there, there are some problems though, you know, with, with NFTs related to music and all that, that um, probably don't have enough time to get into it. So there's definitely some barriers and obstacles, but I, I'm very excited about what NFTs can actually do for music. Um, one of the big problems is if I don't want to give you a royalty, I can just find another way. I can sell it over the counter, like peer to peer and avoid using a marketplace to avoid giving you a royalty. Now, I think people that are probably purchasing those assets want to give the artist their due. That's probably why they got it in the first place. Mm-hmm. But that can definitely be taken advantage of where, hey, I'm just going to do over-the-counter deals. People, it's like, hey, I'm going to meet you. I don't want to sell this on the marketplace because I don't want to get hit 5%, 10% of this royalty. Uh, I want to get all the money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are some barriers that need to be overcome, but I'm excited about how it's going to actually play out with music. Yeah. yeah. Is so, it almost like I'm investing in my favorite artist? Yeah. And I mean, you can think of it that way, certainly. You know, when you, if you've ever gone to those, uh, I don't know if you've ever gone to a restaurant or cafe where you have like the art on the wall from like local artists and you can mm-hmm. buy it. Um, now, I've never bought art off the wall of a cafe restaurant, but I'm sure <laughs> there are some people that do. Uh, but what's 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 cool about the the nft scene related to creators is that it's something like that it's like you can actually market yourself and because of the decentralized and public nature of blockchain and cryptocurrency um, you can actually make sure that you're not being cut out of uh through some middleman that takes you know the majority of the profit on a sale for you um of your art and you get to control the supply of that you get to control uh, what you release, what price you release it at, like, you know, it's all in the hands of the creator. In fact, that's one of the things we do in our marketplace is that we have a, we call it the NFT factory where you can, you want to launch an NFT. Well, we do, it's a no code solution for creators to basically, we'll do everything but the art. So you bring the art and then we'll do all the rest for you. Yeah, that was actually one of my, one of my questions. I think a lot of people have is how do you make an NFT? So let's say I have a picture that I want to mint into an NFT, what does that process look like? Yeah, that's a good question as well. You know, start with what the NFT could be. It can be anything. NFTs don't have to be a picture. They can Mm -hmm. be a GIF. They could be uh, an audio file. They could be a text file. Um, They could really, they could, it could really be whatever digital file you'd like to put Mm -hmm. onto the blockchain. Um, So if you have that ready, uh, generally what happens is you have to uh, create what's called an NFT contract or a smart contract. Um, this would be the process of creating the NFT itself. It have a unique identifier, unique signature, unique properties. It requires the ability to, to know some code. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our case with our marketplace, it doesn't. 
um, we've done the coding part for you kind of with an industry standard that you can launch an NFT um, just mm -hmm. using our marketplace and you don't have to know anything about the code. The second thing is that you have to create like a, a, a way to release the NFT. So you have to create a launch uh, contract with the computer code that allows people to say, essentially, I'm going to buy this. Um, they interact and they get the NFT into their digital asset wallet by uh, paying you. So you have to create some type of feature for that. And uh, pretty much after that, the sky's the limit. And now, now you have this NFT. Now comes the question of application. What's it going to be used for? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, it just is, hey, I bought this cool picture. I like it. I'm a part of an exclusive club because there's only a thousand of these. And so I'm one of a thousand people in the world that has this. Uh, you see that with the Board Ape uh, Yacht Club, mm -hmm. which despite how astronomically insane it is to pay a few million dollars for something like that, uh -huh. it's, it's really, I think it's actually teaching the world something about the power of NFTs. And there's like an exclusivity factor there. I mean, I know, I know of places where uh, they'll have like private meetups um, only for board ape holders. Mm. So it does bring a, it's like being a part of the, what's the club, like the highest club at the airport. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, that. It's like club. that kind of, yeah. It's like, it's like that kind of thing, um, which is, you know, incredibly uh, powerful and unique, but that's not the only thing that can be done with NFTs. You could create application and utility for them. So for example, uh, we are creating a game or a series of games rather that are powered by NFTs. And so the, that's partly what I do with our technology company is we're making games. Well, these NFTs are properties that you as the gamer, you actually own them. So in these other games, people would play, um, you know, you, you play Spider-Man on the PlayStation and you get the new Spider-Man suit or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the game is. Well, you don't actually own those things when you do when you delete your save file or you return the game to wherever you kind of lose all access to all of the things that you achieved in the game mm -hmm. even on mobile gaming you know a lot of mobile games have in-app payments so you're yeah. paying for like gems to like fill up your creature or, you know whatever the game is yeah. and you're paying for these things but you have no claim to them mm -hmm. nfts give you the property rights over that stuff and so with our games, we are creating a composable world where all of our games uh, allow you to use the NFTs that we're, uh, that we're building in all of the games. And so if you own this, this, uh, this NFT, you'll be able to use it in a variety of games. Uh, and it means that let's say you're done playing the game. Let's say I'm not interested in that one. Uh, I bought these and I'm kind of over it now. Well, guess what? You can resell them. They're yours. Mm -hmm. They don't just go away because you are done playing the game. Uh, so NFTs can be used in gaming like that. Uh, they can be used for different club type features. So we're working with this one collection right now that is, they're a in real life community that collects like all sorts of items. And they do these like random giveaways uh, for charity and they do like random draws for like these, these items, uh, just a part of what they already do. And they said, hey, if we use NFTs, um, we can do the same things that we've been doing in real life, but we can make it more fair, more transparent offline. Mm -hmm. uh, and then along with that, you know, people have this like cool little uh, digital art that they've, you know, that they've made. And so there, there's a lot of things you can do. Coupons. I'm working with a restaurant bar right now to uh, get a, an NFT collection for the restaurant and bar. And uh, we've been talking about the different applications, but one of them is that if you own this NFT, 
you'll have uh, access to sit at the chef's table with like the bar where you look into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But only people that hold the NFT membership can actually reserve those seats. And uh, potentially there are going to be some perks such as like, you know, you get half off drinks on your visit sure. and things like that. So there's a lot of application that can be used, uh, that NFTs can be used for. And, and those are things that people are already doing in real life. We're just bringing them. We're just uh, making them, I guess, more fair, more transparent, and more, I would say, more accessible globally. But I realize that most people might think that that's the opposite because like, how do I get an NFT? Yeah. But over time, it will become just the standard, I think, for a lot of these things. Yeah. The game that you're talking about, being able to hold on to the different pieces and things that you've built or bought in the game, it reminds me of uh, Ready Player One. So I don't know if you've seen that movie, but for our listeners out yep. there, it's kind of a kind of a movie that talks about like what the metaverse could be. It's super interesting. You kind of go into the game and you acquire these different things. I only saw the movie for the first time like six months ago, and I was just shocked by how close we are to that. Yeah. People, I, I used to joke that people always talk about how the matrix is in the future. It's like, that's what we're heading to. I'm like, yeah. actually, we're probably a lot closer to Ready Player One. Yeah. If you're talking about sci-fi movies that mirror mm-hmm. reality, you know, that's a real dystopian yeah. <laughs> kind, <laughs> yeah, of, sure. kind of world. I'm hopeful yeah. that all of this stuff will be a little bit better than that. Yeah. Maybe there are others more pessimistic than me. But. Yeah. Well, Brendan, what do you see as the next big thing in the digital asset world? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, I, I'd say be looking out for tokenized real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's already starting to ha- happen, but uh, you know, you they have real estate investment trusts where they do kind of fractional ownership over real estate. Well, imagine applying the digital asset technology to that. Mm-hmm. You know, because because what tokenization does in the blockchain is it makes a very illiquid asset like a like a property, mm-hmm. uh, like real estate, turn into a very liquid asset. Because if there is a market online that you can access in a few clicks of a button, and you own thirteen percent, let's say, of, of a condo community in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. well, if there's a market for that where people are are buying fractional parts of that property. You're turning what was once a very maybe not saleable asset into something that is highly saleable because you can just get online and you can just sell your your portion of it. We're already seeing this happen with stocks mm-hmm. uh, and with certain securities. So there are actually these alternative trading systems that allow people to use blockchain to tokenize their stock to where uh, it's it, you know if you've ever invested in a small company, Usually, you know, you're waiting, like I'm running a small company right now, a startup. And so our early investors are like, well, we'll see if there's going to be a payday for this because right. we don't know if you're going to have a liquidity event in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's very true. With these alternative trading systems, uh, you have a highly liquid market, like pretty quickly. I think it's within like, it's like a year and a day that you can begin trading mm-hmm. your securities that you own. Wow. Um, so I, I see that being applied to real estate in a lot of ways. It seems ready for that. Gaming is just heating up and getting started when it comes to NFTs. And so I'd definitely be looking for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm biased because that's what our company does is <laughs> take NFTs and make games, but it just seems to be ready for 
the blockchain and gaming just seem like they're they're just ready sure. to to touch. And surprisingly, there's a lot of pushback from gamers. I think perhaps due to the the fact that a lot of these companies um, they see it in, they see NFTs as another way for the the big AAA game studios to like milk them out of yeah <laughs> out of their money. Sure. And you know that's certainly that's probably going to happen. But for every one of those, there's going to be indie game studios like ours that is focused on being Web3, decentralized, giving you, the gamer, the property rights. Like we're trying to do things the way that us as gamers would want them to be. Uh, we'd want our games to be played. So I'd say game uh, game stuff for sure, real estate. And then, I, then I'd see, I'd say watch for the incremental approach of certain sectors and industries of the, uh, of the world to be starting to slowly just adopt uh, blockchain in the background. And so I, I could just see there's all already supply chain implications for blockchain. There's all mm-hmm. sorts of things that are already being worked on. And I could just see a steady increase of that over time. So if you're paying attention to that world, you can begin to see, okay, this is going to be disrupting this industry pretty soon. Mm-hmm. But the two that I'd say are most ready would probably be real estate and gaming. Yeah. It's going to be so interesting to see over the next three to five years. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's finish on this one. So Colby and I, in our job, in our day job, we like, one of our favorite things about the job is helping people give away assets. So whether that's stock, whether that's real estate, whether it's um, percentage of a company. And so one of the things that's really popped up over the last couple of years is people who have made a lot of money in digital assets wanting to give those assets away charitably. And it's kind of been hard to do that. It's getting easier to do that. But I'd love to talk about kind of the project that you're working on to make that easier. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, still early for the nonprofit, but, you know, we started this nonprofit a few years ago called Ethnos Digital. And uh, Ethnos is the Greek word for peoples. And the idea is, you know, in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Pontetal ethne, to make disciples of all the nations, uh, all the ethne, all the people. And the, the idea that Jesus is getting out, uh, getting at is that all the peoples of the world, um, the gospel isn't for one particular group of people. It's for all the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we know this John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world and what ethnos digital, what we're attempting to do with this is to say, okay, we've got all these people that have made, um, maybe made some, uh, financial gain trading and flipping NFTs because that seems to be popular right now. Maybe they're just buying Bitcoin or all the, you know, this is just happening around us and it will continue to happen, uh, especially with the younger generation. And so how do we create an infrastructure where people that are uh, making money in the digital asset space where they can actually charitably give uh, toward the work of God? And uh, that's what Ethnos Digital is aiming to do. We, we kind of tongue in cheek say that we are um, dropping crypto into a missionary's wallet. Uh, and so that's, that's really the goal is to help people that are, that do have these digital assets that they need to, they, you know, they, maybe there's a tax implication of that, that they need to give. Uh, well, they can give through our site and uh, that digital asset will then be converted or done, we do whatever we need to do in order to fund the work of missions. Now, the goal long-term is to have a completely decentralized platform where uh, you won't even have to go through us as an intermediary. It's just an application online where uh, like a 
like an, like imagine an iOS app, but mm-hmm. just a web, a web-based app where you connect your crypto wallet, you click the amount that you want to give, where you want to give it, and it just happens. Um, it's completely transparently done on the blockchain with uh, very little, uh, we don't need to have a lot of oversight, which means we don't have to take a lot of overhead. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to reduce the, the costs and reduce the barriers and provide a tax efficient way to give your digital asset. And what we'd like to do is curate a list of uh, opportunities for people to give that directly impact the missionary enterprise among unreached people groups. So we're looking for a highly effective, highly impactful giving opportunities. Because, you know, if you're, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, you want to steward your funds in such a way that uh, honors the Lord and that is a good stewardship moment for you. And so we're, we're really trying to find those high impact opportunities for people to get to and then connect two and two together. Um, so for me, I'm a mobilizer, right? I said that at the beginning, right? Like I'm, my passion is uh, helping people see God's heart for the world and connecting uh, who they are to uh, the purposes God has mm-hmm. on the mission field. And so this is another, this is just a way for me to say, hey, if, if there's a somebody that has an event where they, maybe they have a lot of money that they need to give or maybe high net worth individuals and high net worth Christians, uh, we get to explore with them. One, do you know about God's heart for the world? Can I show you in the scriptures why God cares so much about mm-hmm. the, you know, the nations and then uh, having ready opportunities for them to give to? So that's kind of, that's my passion about it is connecting the, the giving to the unreached. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm excited to see that get built out. That is awesome. I, I, just two quick follow-up questions on that, Brennan. Now, we're, we're big fans of Christ-centered microfinance, like Hope International. I, I would just think, right, that there's got to be an easy way that that overlaps. Yep. yep. Yeah, that would be probably like phase two or three for where we are. You know, the, the reality of where our organization is, is that, you know, I've got all these other uh, technology things that I'm working on, and people in that space are really into it. But the church, historically, is like a decade behind everybody. This is really cutting-edge stuff, what we're doing. And it's really, really difficult to get missions agencies and churches um, ready to adopt this thing that they don't understand. And so I, I think in this first phase for us, as we're building out all the infrastructure for the platform, we're really trying to do a lot of education and trying to get as much information as we can out to people so that they understand kind of this technology that's going to impact their future. Because uh, we want them to know it's like, hey, we're here to help bring you in. We don't want to leave you out to dry and you have to figure it out on your own. We, we won't really want to help people understand uh, NFTs, crypto, getting understanding this whole world because it will impact them at some point. But if we can get uh, education in front of churches and missions organizations now, we can actually uh, be on that cutting edge. They can be on that cutting edge and take advantage of uh, moving into this technology maybe faster than they would have um, had we not stepped in. So I'm really passionate about getting people ready for it and educating them in that way. All right. And then quickly tying this all together, you started off in the beginning talking about, Hey, credit card overspending and it being a hard issue. And and really in this crypto world um, and connecting with roots of the money tree, me and Ryan are always going, Hey, what are our real root convictions, our principles? How do we think with our heart or think biblically about what we're doing? If it's money or anything else that it doesn't, you know, become our treasure right? Because we know where our treasure and our heart will fall. So I often hear it could be a random person in a restaurant to a young friend to an older friend saying, hey, you know, I'm just gonna throw all my money in crypto and it becomes a sense of this is my belonging, right? I'm a part of this 
this is what gives me yeah, purpose. It's a huge problem. Kind of like my church or my home. How do we think biblically around that rather than this becoming our purpose? Yeah, you know, I, that is a key question. Unfortunately, there's an event in the last two weeks. I don't know if you guys have been following it, but there was a, a cryptocurrency called Terra Luna and mm-hmm. they had something. Uh, it doesn't, it's not worth getting into, but, you know, if you were in the digital asset space for a while, you'd see that and be like, yeah, that's not going to work because we've seen things come before just like it. And it basically just collapsed. They tried to do a stable coin that was pegged to the U.S. dollar, uh, but they tried to use algorithms to keep that peg there. And that's highly subject to manipulation to the point where we've actually seen that same idea be tried two or three times and all of them have failed. But in the midst of that event, I've heard stories now of dozens of people that have committed suicide um, because they've lost their entire life savings because they threw their money into what they thought was a stable token that was going to be a dollar and that they would get like a, like a, a yield on that. Um, and they'd earn, you know, 10, 12, 20%. And it just breaks my heart. But I, I think as believers, it's really, really important that you don't get so caught up in the hype of what, you know, you've got a bunch of people that a lot of people in this space, they don't have uh, the same convictions about uh, God, faith, the church. They don't have those things. And every single person on the planet is looking for somewhere to place their identity and their belonging. Mm -hmm. If you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. Mm -hmm. So for believers getting into that space, I just, I would warn I would warn them to say, you know, maybe don't put all, let's not put all our hope in here. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have friends, family, fellowship, people that can hold you accountable uh, to that thing, it it becomes really, really important because it can be so easy to just, you know, be so absorbed with what's happening on your phone. Sure. That's a good word, Brendan. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I think this is going to be super helpful for all, all of our listeners, super helpful for me, and we're so encouraged by you and your approach. And you don't, I don't often see the collision of those two worlds of the gospel and digital assets, so it's, it's, it's a treat to have you on today. Well, we're excited to see all the different things that you're working on continue to be built out, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again. Yeah, we'd love to see you. That'd be great. All right. Well, thanks, Brendan.